Amen, everyone. It's good to be with you, whether virtually or together, though I would prefer the latter. Um, but I miss you. Uh, so many of you all, um, even throughout the season of church planting, I've not been able to see. Uh, but now, even though I'm here with you but can't see you, I, I miss that even more. But uh, the avenue sends their love. We're grateful for your continued support and prayer. Um, and I am also grateful for the opportunity uh, to share um, the truth of God's word with you this morning. So let us uh, pray. Lord, we are grateful every time we get to open up the book of life. God, for in it we find our strength, our power, our wisdom, our direction, our identity, and God, our boast. And so God, this morning uh, we pray that all those things we just named would be true for us in this hour, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. So, God, would you give us a rich time, and God, would we be forever impacted by these truths to live in a way that would bring you more glory. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, because I am not as eloquent and amazing and well-studied as your pastor and the pastors on this staff, I had to cheat. I, I cannot multitask. Uh, we begun a series about a month ago at the Avenue Community Church in the uh, book of Corinthians. I'm also uh, swimming in Pauline epistles as a seminary class, and I thought um, rather than try to recreate the wheels in my mind, I would just bring you some, uh, uh, some reflections, if you will, on some of the things that uh, I've been preaching, some of the things that I've been studying. It's been a blessing to me in my personal life, especially as I navigate uh, the, the latter quarter or the latter part of the uh, year of 2020, which has absolutely been a whirlwind. Um, and especially as we get ready in America uh, to go through another uh, culturally explosive season, it would be best of us, it, it would behoove us uh, to make sure we are immersing ourselves in the gospel and its truths. And so uh, I want to bring to you some reflections, if you will, on philosophy, the gospel, and unity. I'll say it one more time, uh, that I want to bring to you this morning some reflections um, biblical reflections on philosophy, the gospel, and unity. And ultimately, what we will get to today is a understanding that worldly wisdom uh, compiled with a lack of gospel transformation will lead to a fracturing in the body of Christ that is unbecoming. That is one more time that uh, worldly wisdom and philosophy and a lack of gospel transformation will eventually lead to a fracturing in the body of Christ that is unbecoming of Christ's bride. So let us begin by first just taking some reflections on philosophy. I remember one of the first scriptures that um, I really uh, took hold to, and it was pretty easy for me to kind of memorize, even though I don't have it memorized right now, was Colossians 2.8. This is a letter Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than of Christ. Philosophy, uh, philosophy simply means uh, love of wisdom, especially at its 
first uh, basic principles of the definition. Um, John Frame would even go on to say that uh, philosophy is a disciplined attempt to articulate and defend a worldview. And as we look at philosophy, especially as Paul uses it in Colossians 2.8, we know that the worldview that would be tried to be defended obviously um, originates from this world, depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, when you read Pauline material, um, as I've been spending a lot of time doing because I'm in that class right now, uh, when you read this Pauline material, one of the big concepts that you will quickly see emerge is this contrast, this off-repeated contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And this is not just something fly by night. It's very intentional. It has extreme significance in Paul's letters. When you talk about the flesh and the spirit, uh, they, they stack up against each other in this ways. Flesh is synonymous with the old age, right? It's characterized and governed by the flesh. It represents a mode of existence, once again, that is characterized and governed by the flesh. The old age. Paul will use this a lot. Uh, When Paul uses the word uh, world or age, um, he's also using, uh, or we'll use another phrase, uh, this present evil age. Galatians 1 and 4 uh, would be a good reference point for that. It represents a moral order that characterizes and defines the world of humanity that is untouched by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time. When Paul uses the terms the flesh, the old age, the present evil age. He's, he's delineating and he's defining a mode of existence or a moral order that characterizes and defines the world of humanity that is untouched by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Right? It, it, is, it is representing a time, a period of time, a span of time ranging from Adam to the new heavens and new earth um, of men who are fallen, those who are perishing, those who do not receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And just in case some of you all are wondering, what I, I love Matt Chandler always says, there has never been a golden age of humanity. Not in all their learnedness, not in all of their feats and accomplishments. In regards to true wisdom, there has never been, never will be a time of moral greatness for unredeemed man. Can I just say that one more time? I'm getting excited in here. I can hear the amens coming off the walls in the the sanctuary. There will be and never has been a time of moral greatness for unredeemed, unregenerated mankind. Not without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Which is contrasted, this flesh, this old age is contrasted with the spirit or the age of the new creation. The spiritual people that is governed, that is ruled by the spirit of the living God. Um, It's also sometimes this age of the spirit is also synonymously used by Paul as the age to come. This age to come that was inaugurated when the spirit raised Christ from the dead, right? Life begins by the spirit. And all the benefits of Christ's death is then applied when the sinner lays hold to Christ by faith. That is, once again, the new creation. When Christ died, was raised by the Spirit of God, a new life began that is spirit-engineered, 
right? Spirit-governed, and all the benefits of Christ's death were applied to this new believer when the sinner lays hold of Christ by faith in him. Now, for Paul, it is not simply that Christians have been transplanted from this um, um, present evil age, the old age, into the age to come. Rather, we have been delivered from the present evil age. That means that we no longer belong to it. We're no longer enslaved to it, right? We're not subject to its power, um, helpless and defenseless, but we continue to live in the present age. However, because we have a new nature, we are no longer subject to all that the present evil age would normally subject the unredeemed man to. We also call this time period the already not yet. That means that we're currently experiencing aspects of the eschaton or the world to come, but not fully. All right? I'm going somewhere with all this, y'all. And so one of the uh, one, one commentator, Waters, Guy Waters, says this, that Gary Waters, uh, negotiating life in the overlap of the ages is not always easy. It poses certain challenges and opportunities, both for believers. I would just like to pause and add my own two cents. Is that essentially, y'all, from the time that you laid hold to Christ by faith and you received all the blessings and the benefits of what he uh, uh, provided for you on the cross of Calvary and the Spirit is now living in you, negotiating your new existence with your uh, current circumstances is probably the most difficult thing that you're going to have to do. This will be your daily fight until Christ comes and no longer, there's no longer a separation between him and ourselves, right? No longer will the Spirit live within us, but we'll actually behold him face to face. But the problem and the, the, the struggles that we as the body of Christ will endure until that day is negotiating our new nature and our present reality. Somebody need to write that down somewhere. Paul says... Um, the knowledge that comes from the present evil age is the wisdom of this world. You'll see this all throughout Pauline uh, material and letters is that you've got this present evil age, it's the old age, and then the knowledge and the characteristics and the value systems that come from it are what Paul characterizes as the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of man also known as or could be synonymous with the spirit of the world. And the spirit of the world and the, wills, the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of man, um, is also synonymous with reason, which is the principle of the knowledge of men. Logic, empirical evidence, sensory experience, right? Existential journeys to self-discovery. The wisdom of this world belongs to this world. It originates from man, from human beings. It is attained and usually championed by men of this world. And what you will see in 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 2 is not just men, but it's the great men of this world that champion it. And how is their great, what does greatness mean? These are men of influence. Whether by wisdom, whether by birth, whether by power, whether they acquired that power by might or wealth, usually these are the people who champion the wisdom of this world, right? Now, this is important, y'all. This is important because there is a natural tendency in the body of Christ. We like our heroes. 
And because we, were, uh, we come from this world, we do have a natural proclivity towards those who are f- smarter, flashier, stronger, more eloquent, right? Uh, and I think some of the problems, especially as we study the book of Corinth at the Avenue Community Church, are not much different um, than what we have here today, right? The heroes of the Corinthian culture were those who had the most rhetorical swag and they had the most savvy philosophical ideas ideas and they were very eloquent and they were very learned and that's who the heroes of the Corinthian church were right and so it is today like it's not much different we value those people who look the part don't we we love the people who can shut you down with their wittiness we love the people who can command the room because of their power Paul says hey Usually when you see that kind of packaging, you can more than likely detect that the wisdom of this world, of this present evil age is at play, right? And what we know from Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, is that God's way has always stood in contrast with human wisdom. God's wisdom has always been butting up against human wisdom. Psalms 33 and 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people, right? There's a way, Proverbs, that seems right to a man. That way leads to destruction. God will, God has always, um, will continue to work against human wisdom, right? Everything does not fall harmlessly under uh, common grace and just um, uh, uh, harmless discoveries, right? But we do recognize all truth is God's truth. But we have to begin to ask ourselves when truth enters in, when wisdom enters in, when ideas enter in, where did it originate from? What are the standards by which it governs itself? And what is its goal? And we have to always remember that God's wisdom is always going to stand antithetical to human wisdom. So it's neither mental excellence nor human understanding will stand before God. And especially as it relates to salvation, which is the most important piece of information one could ever ascertain. What I'm trying to say as I'm going somewhere, y'all, Galatians 4, 3, Paul says it again in his letter to the Galatians. So also when we were children, we were enslaved under the basic principles of this world. What are you saying, Pastor Tim? It says Galatians 4, 3. When we, that means all of us, visible church, invisible church, all of us who confess uh, Jesus as Lord, we were in under, one, at one point in time, we were enslaved under the basic principles of this world. Now, I don't care whether you're a black man, white man, Hispanic man, whether you were born in Mississippi, Arkansas, or Alaska. There is some kind of default setting in us that is not able to see. And, and the, Paul would say this. We're born blind. One, one, one of my favorite pastors says we were born blind with tinted sunglasses on. We're not able to see naturally um, that which can only be spiritually discovered. And it takes the Spirit of God to help us see not only the truth of things, but the reality of who we are. Right? And one of the things that I think we struggle with is we are not born with a redeemed way of seeing the world. Right? Like, how important for us in this current climate that we're living in is for us to understand this. 
that you were not born seeing the world rightly, right? And you won't ever reach a point where you naturally see the world rightly, right? Our perspective, Romans 12, 2, says we must undergo constant renewal because as we come out of our enslavement to the old man, right, it is a, a, a lifelong journey of sanctification as the mind, the wires are being replugged in and we're being reconditioned to see the world through God's lens, right? We are born with the wrong outlook. And not only are you born, not only is it nature, but it's also nurture, right? You're nurtured, you're discipled into a broken worldview. So let's just pause for a second, right? As everybody is constantly seeming right now at war with each other for the way that they see things, right? One of the most, um, um, to me, non-Christian attributes that I see as Twitter wars are taking place and Facebook wars are taking place and, you, you know, arguments at Thanksgiving or wherever you are are taking place is nobody suspects self, right? Everybody's busy. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. But nobody is maintaining this biblical perspective that I could be wrong, y'all, because I was born and I couldn't see things correctly. I was discipled into a worldview that did not see things correctly. And there will never be a point without the Spirit of God helping me that I won't destroy my world and the things around me if I don't constantly, desperately ask for him to renew my mind. This bothers me deeply, y'all, because everybody else has it wrong, but we got it right. And that's just not true. Without the Spirit of God at work in us continually on this journey, we will continually get things wrong. We got to undergo constant renewal because we were products of the old world. We were products of the old age. We were not born as the new creation. And I don't care how long you've been in the Presbyterian church. I don't care how many times you've been catechized. I don't care what Baptist church you grew up to or whatever. You were not born regenerated. You were not born with the, with the right worldview. And if you don't fall at the foot of the cross and beg the spirit of the living Christ to come into you, you will... <laughs> You will constantly live under the delusion that you're right and everybody else is wrong. The battlefield is what I'm saying is, is for the mind. The battlefield is in the mind, y'all. The battlefield is in the mind and the battlefield is for the mind. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's approach here to salvation, uh, this is from a commentary, one commentary I have, that Paul's approach to salvation is therefore a continuous process of overcoming the adverse effects of sarks, which is the flesh. I'll say it again, and I'll add something to it. Paul's view of salvation includes deliverance from the present age, from the view of man as Sark's flesh to the view of man as spirit. But naturally, the Christian is not all at once delivered from the adverse effects of Sark's, which is the flesh. 
Paul's approach to salvation is therefore a continuous process of overcoming the adverse effects of the flesh. The battlefield that we are on, y'all, is for ideological control between the wisdom of the present evil age, the old age, and the wisdom of God that is only um, ascertained by those who are being spiritually renewed by the Spirit of God. This is not between Democrats and Republicans. The war is not between black people, white people. The war is not, world, the, the war is not between uh, those who want immigration and those who don't want it. The war, the true war that is taking place right now is between every piece of human wisdom that does not uh, find its origin in the spirit of God, in the wisdom of God. That's everything, y'all. It's everything, everything that does not derive from the mind of God is of this present evil age. And this is where the clash is taking place. What's the problem, Pastor Tim? Well, see, what happens is, is you don't understand, you know, we're living in a time, obviously this is COVID, right? We're living in a time where part of the, 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 the toughest and the most difficult things to navigate our way through um, with COVID is what they call asymptomatic spread. It's the fact that people are carrying disease, or they're carrying infection, and they're unaware. And because they're unaware, they're spreading it to people who are also unaware. And what I think is happening is the same thing that happened at Corinth is that they didn't completely understand, right? They made the profession. They, they called Christ Lord. They confessed him as Lord. They uh, were trying to follow uh, Paul's direction as he was the apostle who was uh, delivering the word of God and the message uh, to, those, to the Corinthian church. But they didn't understand the fact that they were still worldly. They didn't understand the fact that there would still be an ongoing struggle between their old nature and the new nature that was trying to emerge in them. And because they did not understand that they still had some sarks, some old nature in there, they were asymptomatic. They were bringing it into the church unaware. The way that they thought, the way that they acted, the way that they lived, they brought their old nature into their new reality. And what was happening at the church of Corinth is that their worldliness, their carnalness was suffocating the life out of that church. It was destroying that church. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But I want to challenge you today. Do you realize that you still have part of the old nature in you? Do you realize that if you don't continue to crucify yourself, your desires, your intentions, your cultures, that you will continue to bring pieces of the old man, the old nature, the present evil age into God's church? Do you realize that there is no culture that can conveniently house the wisdom of God. That as we have these big explosive and tense moments as Americans, especially in the days to come, that as we, our tendency is to resort back to whatever tribe we came from and how we were taught to view the world, that we have to submit that to the wisdom of God, lest we bring that 
into the arguments, which is totally contaminated with Auntie, Uncle Mima, and Papa Nim's view of the world. And can I just tell you, your Papa's view of the world is not the mind of Christ. And it must be examined. And I don't care what you used to do for two decades and three decades and how you were raised and how you were taught to view this and government and this and that. If you do not lay it at the foot of Christ, you will stand in danger of assaulting the church of God. You, not them. One of my buddies told me recently that in the IRS, they don't teach you when you, as you're examining fake bills or whoever it is who counts the money i'm not sure it's secondhand information this is one of the ways that they do things they don't teach you every discrepancy that could come across so that you'll be able to catch every discrepancy or everything that's fake that comes across your desk what they do is they make you study the real thing so much so thoroughly that when you do see something fake come across you'll be able to spot it And I think that's the way that we need to approach this season, y'all, is that uh, rather than spending all our time exhausting every man-made philosophy of this present evil age, right, it it would be, to me, uh, incumbent upon us to stare at the gospel and to stare at it so faithfully and with such fervor and know it as, as well as we could, both in the ethic and both the theology and the belief, that we'd be able to spot the fakes when they come across our face. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You are faithfully preach the gospel to in your CCs and uh, uh, from the pulpit every week. But I want to give you a couple just, just reflections to me on the gospel in this season that I like to keep my mind sharp on. First of all, the gospel is a plan. It's derived from God, predetermined before time. It's undiscoverable by, but undiscoverable by human reason. It's centered in Christ and includes all of God's plans for the history of salvation from before the ages to the unending future of eternity. Let's do it again. It's a plan. Don't ever forget it. It's derived from God. It's predetermined before time. It's hidden. It's undiscoverable by human reason. It's centered in Christ, and it includes all of God's plans for the history of salvation from before the ages to the unending future of eternity. It is a message of salvation. That's what it is. It's a message of salvation from this present evil age, not just your personal sin. Right? Sometimes we get this thing so um, me-centered, right? And we're always thinking about me, right? Um, and, 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 and maybe me first. There is a, uh, uh, an appropriate time and there's an appropriate space and amount of attention that does need to, uh, Psalms 51, against you and you alone have I sinned, right? But essentially when we think about salvation, I think primarily first, We need to think about the redemptive historical trajectory of God throughout all Scripture to save for himself not a person but a people from this present evil age, right? And it's a story about the redemption of this people through his atoning sacrifice. It's a form of wisdom. Not only it's a plan, it's a message 
but it's also a form of wisdom. And this form of wisdom stands antithetical to the world and the present evil age, right? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a wisdom that boasts in the cross. There's this awesome story about Alexi Minos, right, and, and some graffiti in the wall which had a cross and a donkey head on it. And essentially the idea was somebody was uh, ridiculing people for believing in that guy on the cross, which is the most shameful uh, criminal death in all the Greco-Roman world. Why would anybody choose to put a hope in that, right? But it's a form of wisdom. And that form of wisdom boasts in that weak strength, in that great paradox and reversal that though we are weak, we are strong in him. It's an idea we believe in, right? That we go low, there's no glory without the cross, right? It's an ideal, it's a form of wisdom that the world laughs at, right? It's not just a theological set of ideas, but it's also a system of belief. It's not just a set of theological ideas. It's not just a system of beliefs, but it's also a way of life, right? It's for us to follow. And this is important for us as we shine like stars in the middle of this grumbling and complaining generation who will go crazy over the next couple of months as their worlds begin to fall apart. Whether this guy stays in office or that guy stays in office or whether this reform happens or that reform doesn't happen. Whether this ideal is championed by everyone, right? Because all of their worlds hinge on that. Oh, come on, y'all. But we have a different way of life, that we don't enter in to some of these debates the same way that other people do, but we also follow the way and we take the lead of our master with this weak strength and we go low and we self-sacrifice even when it doesn't benefit us and we love our enemies and we are not quarrelsome. See, this is the way of Christ, y'all. It's not just what you believe. Oh, but it's how you live, y'all. We got to walk in his manner, First John says, right? These ideals, they're indiscernible and they're foolish to the carnal man, right? But this is not, this is the gospel. Not just what it is in theology. Oh, but what it does, y'all. And here's the catch. When we persevere in believing this fo- these foolish ideals, that distinguishes true faith from that which Paul says is in vain in 1 Corinthians 15. The carnal man will not receive the gospel, the hidden wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 2. It's going to always land on the wisdom of this present evil age. And the wisdom of this present evil age is always conquer and divide. Conquer and divide. Make my foes submit, right? And do it at all costs. But you will find as you continue to read through Scripture that the spirit-filled mind will always pursue unity, especially and primarily within the household of faith. And I don't have a whole bunch here, but I, I, I would tell you that this may be the most important thing as you're getting ready to examine and to engage these next couple of months of American life. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. I appeal to you, this is Paul, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and there be no divisions among you 
but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. What Paul will go on to say to this crew later on is that their divisions are evidence of their worldliness. The fact that they have factions and cliques and some follow Apollos and some follow Paul. The fact that those things exist are not evidence of their regenerated mind. They're immature. They're still nursing. They're not on the spiritual hearty meat that, um, that Paul wants to deliver to them, right? Their, their mindset is not of that of the spirit, but it's of the present evil age. And I just want to let you know. At times, we're just being flat out worldly. At times, we're just being flat out carnal. And at times, we need other brothers and sisters in Christ to, to let us know when our worldliness, when the old Tim is starting to seep out in ways that it should not. And somebody needs to call that new spirit-filled Tim to existence. I just want to say division is one of the most natural human instincts. This is why Paul says, hey, I could tell you're still worldly because you have divisions. What is he saying? I could tell you still have some of the old you in us because you still have divisions and preferences and prejudices, right? And theirs were based on their favorite preachers and how they preached and how, who baptized them and the swag that they had and all the, uh, the wisdom that they exhibited, right? Paul said that's worldly. That's carnal mindedness, right? And division is one of the most natural things that we do as unredeemed people. I was been watching these documentaries just about kind of the beginnings of America. And it's just funny, right? Everybody comes to America to start their fortune and in order uh, 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 to strike it rich or to come up. And essentially, it didn't matter who they had to step on, mama, daddy, who they had to cheat, who they had to cut out of wheels, who they had to backdoor. If, if anybody was standing in the way of them reaching their greatness, peace, deuces, got to go. Division, right? It's crazy, man. Like that, that, even as we start thinking about Americanism, there is no set of ideals that conveniently can house the wisdom of God, y'all. Paul tells them, there's no way. I appeal you to be united. And in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter, he says, Christ is not divided. We can't be divided because Christ is not divided, right? Uh, and if Christ is incapable capable of division, then we as his church cannot be divided, right? And he says, considering the relation in which Christ, Christians stand to each other as the members of Christ, dissensions among them are inconsistent with their character. As conflicts between the members of the human body, as the head is one, so are the members. Y'all, if, 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 if there's no way that our human body can be at war with one another, there's no way that we can function properly or properly represent the unity that exists in the Trinity, in Christ, if we are divided. But I can tell that some of us are still worldly because we would prefer to be divided. 
We would prefer to just be at war with one another. Why is that? Because we still got some of the old nature on us, right? Now, here's the thing, man. As we live, once again, as we go back to the beginning, as we negotiate living with our uh, new nature in this present world, right? As we negotiate the difference between um, the, uh, the already not yet and where we're going, one of the difficulties is, is trying to understand when do we uh, uh, call out the heretics? When do we call out the false teachers? But when do we bear with those who might just be in error? And then when do we allow people the freedom just to uh, express themselves in the matter of conscience? They're not going against scripture. They're trying to think through things in a way that would glorify God, but it just happens to be different from me, right? And when do we break fellowship? Now, I can be honest with you, that is a hard thing. But I want to challenge you today to think about the preservation of the unity of Christ's body above anything else. So before you get yourself all riled up at somebody to go disagree with them, and if they call themselves a believer in the Lord Jesus, I believe you need to ask yourself, to what end will you take this? Are you ready to break fellowship with them over this particular area? Do you have the scriptural grounds to break uh, a fellowship with them over this? How is this conversation? Is this dialogue? Is this being used? Can it be used apologetically to the world? And I would, uh, I would caution anybody who's getting ready to enter into a public space where two Christians are literally uh, hashing it out over cer- certain issues. I would not do those kind of things publicly unless I know I could do it with the Spirit of Christ. Because our brothers in Christ deserve a different kind of treatment and preference. That's also a part of the Pauline epistles. Galatians 6. We do give deference and preference to the household of faith. What are you saying, Tim? Don't be so quick to divide what Christ has united with his own blood. What are, you, are you talking about the world? I'm not talking about disagreeing with the world. But I'm talking about in the household of faith, those who claim to be a part of Christ's church, we better not be too hasty to sever what God by his spirit has brought together. It's a part of our apologetic. It examples and models who Christ is, who cannot be divided. It's important, y'all. But the complicated nature of the fact is this, that the divisions there that this Corinthian church had were there because they did not understand the relationship that they had with Christ and the relationship that they has to bear with all the rest of the other Christians. And they didn't understand how, how they were supposed to associate themselves with the teachers. But it was, also, it was all based on the principles of this world. They divided themselves over allegiance to these teachers because that's what everybody in the other Corinthian community did. Well, I like this guy better, so I'm going to go with him. And I like this guy better, so I'm going to go with them. And not only am I going to go with them, I'm going to call myself this. Be careful what you're labeling yourself, Christian. Paul says, was I crucified for you? Did I redeem you? Did Apollos purchase you by his blood? No. If they didn't purchase you, if I didn't purchase you, if I didn't save you, you you're not mine. Oh, but child of God, you are a Christian because you worship Christ. 
because we belong to him. Because he redeemed us, he consecrated us, and there is no other allegiance. There is not even a close second to that which we place ourselves under. And if this is true for first century believers, if this is true for people who preach God's word, And this is true for Christians back in the early Corinthian church, that they should not align themselves with Bible preachers. Then how much more would it be true for those who are trying to live in this present evil age and have the temptation to align themselves with all other principles and forms of learning and political camps and parties and all kind of other isms to align themselves and to describe themselves by these things. We are Christ. And we belong to all of the other people who call themselves Christians. And we better not be so quick to sever those bonds. So what are you trying to say? I don't know. There's a lot of blabbing about a lot of stuff. I'll just say this. Just four little takeaways. Stay aware, man. As you navigate these next couple of months of living, stay aware that you are being preyed upon. The scripture in Matthew and Mark 13 come to mind that the the elect will be deceived if possible, right? If not for Christ, we will be led astray in the battlefield of our minds, right? And you have to suspect, y'all, you have got to suspect your upbringing, your interests, your goals, your community. What is it that is presently right now trying to uh, 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 commandeer the mind of Christ that I have? You have not arrived. You will never arrive. You will never have arrived. You weren't born with a redeemed worldview. You weren't saved into a completely redeemed worldview. You will constantly have to be under spirit transformative renewal in order to have the mind of Christ. you got to be aware of this, y'all. Not them, you. Part of you is hardwired to be complicit and to bring cancerous ideals into the church. You don't like it, but it's true. You. It's not the, always the wolves in sheep clothing out there. It's us who, because we still have endemic residue in us, because we still have the old man, man, man in us, we will asymptomatically, sometimes unknowingly, will still continue to bring Um, And we have a natural inclination to be complicit to bring things into God's church that could divide it. We got to stay aware. Continue to recognize and rehearse true gospel theology and ethic so that you can spot the fakes. And realize that the spirit of this world, spirit of this age would love nothing more than to use you to divide Christ's church. And lastly, remember this though. That's a lot of doomsday, but I want to remind you of what Paul started his letter to the Corinthians with. 1 Corinthians 1.8. It says, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful that you have redeemed us.
But God, we're not unaware that we're not home yet. And because we live in this present evil age, there are philosophies and the wisdom of this world at work in us and trying to work through us to divide your body. Would you help us to continue to pursue uh, the gospel and to rehearse both the beliefs and the understandings and the wisdom of it and also to pursue its ethic, to walk in the way that you walk and to walk in a manner that would bring you much glory. God, would you protect your body, especially as all the isms of this world would try to attack us and to divide us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.